And as, as leaders, we need to have leadership teams that, you know, are empowered and confident and uh, um, run the business for you so that as a leader, you can focus on the strategic things that you need to and, and the, the important stuff that needs to be to be done while your leaders are capable and confident to actually do their job. Helping CEOs and business leaders discover the energy to perform exceptional brilliance and positively impact the lives of those around them. Be inspired by world leaders, game-changing influencers, and next-level gurus. This is the Active CEO Podcast, where the ordinary don't belong. And now your host, CEO and founder of Energy to Perform, international speaker and leadership performance coach, Craig Johns. On this episode of the Active CEO Podcast, we talk with the Leadership Development Specialist who has authored The Languages of Leadership and the newly, newly released Raising Leaders and loves speaking about the correlation between parenting and leadership. Her tertiary education includes a Bachelor of Business in HR Management from QUT, Diploma of Management from Swinburne University of Technology and has studied organizational leadership from Harvard University. Our guest has held management, leadership and consulting roles at National Australia Bank, Australia Post, Wright Management and Victorian Leaders. She now works as a leadership development specialist in her own firm, Wendy Bourne Consulting. I'm honored and privileged to introduce to you an engaging facilitator, coach, speaker, and author who is passionate about creating effective leaders, Wendy Bourne. Wendy, welcome to the show. Thank you, Craig. What an introduction. <laughs> it's a pleasure to be here. Uh, it's, good. it's good to have you on. And, you know, for me, leadership always starts when you're really young and who you're influenced by. So can you tell us a little bit about where you grew up and who were the key influences in your life, uh, whether that be your parents or other people that kind of really led you down the right path as a person? Okay. Yes. Wow. Um, so I grew up in Cairns, which is in North Queensland, uh, on, on a couple of acres of land. And uh, we had uh, like a bit of a hobby farm kind of thing. Um, and um, so my mum, so I had two older brothers and my mum and my father died when I was seven years old. And so my mum then had her second husband wasn't a very nice person. He was, uh, he physically abused my mother, um, which wasn't a particularly nice experience. And then my second stepfather, um, he didn't physically abuse her, but he mentally, uh, psychologically kind of manipulated a lot of things and, and our world. So I, as a, when I look back at my upbringing, it wasn't overly positive. However, um, I learned a number of uh, key uh, lessons in life, I guess. And the first was that um, uh, how to how to <laughs> work with over fifty white males uh, <laughs> and how to manage grumpy old men. Uh, and the second was around you know what if this was my first real experience of leadership which our parents typically are 
you know, it wasn't overly positive and this is, I guess, what not to do as, as a leader. Um, and so um, I, I think that's really where my interest in leadership, I guess, developed at, a, at such an early age and, you know, um, how not to treat people, what not to do and, um, you know, how, how what, what things you should do actually to, to um, cultivate, you know, good, good things in people and good uh, values and, and um, uh, uh, what's the word, values and um, behaviours really yeah. in, in people. Yeah. So yeah, so not not overly positive. However, um, some some really valuable life lessons. Yeah, and, and yeah. you know, sorry to hear about your dad yeah. passing away at such a young age. And yeah. you know, obviously, you build up a lot of resilience going through a childhood like that. And absolutely, you know, for for you, when you know, obviously, there's quite a bit of disruption when you're a child from a parenting point of view. While you're at school, did you find yourself more as a leader or a follower? But look, probably a leader. Um, I, I seem to always uh, have a, a group of friends and and a lot of friends. So um, I, I didn't kind of just have one or two. I had many, and so um, you know, uh, navigating the relationships, of, particularly of teenage girls is you know always can be you know tricky um but i found that throughout high school particularly i had many many girlfriends as well as male friends as well like guys who just we were all just friends and kind of uh, managing and navigating those kind of relationships was uh fun really and not having to kind of stick to one or two core people and I've found as well as I've grown up as well the same kind of things have have occurred like I have now I have I guess a couple of close friends but I have a very broad uh, friendship base which which is nice you know um, because through um, knowing many different people in your life you you get such a broad diverse range of views and and experiences through other people and and it, it adds to having that kind of broad well-rounded um uh view on things does that make sense yeah no definitely it's yeah. good yeah. and so what led you to studying human resource management at uh, university yeah so i started so i left school at grade 10 and uh did an apprenticeship so uh i did a hairdressing apprenticeship which um, because uh, I left at grade 10 because I didn't really enjoy school. Um, you know, I hated maths. Um, like I liked the, the social side of school, but, you know, studying is kind of wasn't my thing. I was very practical and hands-on and liked, you know, cooking and, and home economics in school. But all of the kind of study side of it, I, I just really didn't like. So I left school. Uh, at grade 10 and did a hairdressing apprenticeship, which was great. But through through that apprenticeship, I um, went off to TAFE. And as part of that apprenticeship, you have to do, you know, TAFE learning, which is practical skills. And I, int- being introduced to TAFE was absolutely incredible because it showed me a different side to learning. Like it wasn't all about 
books and theory. It was actual, you could learn in a practical way. And so through TAFE, it kind of opened up my eyes to a different kind of learning. And so um, I let, I'd finished my apprenticeship and I went and worked in an office and um, and I decided that through TAFE, I would do a diploma of um, finance. And and um, by this stage, I was working in the NAB as well. So I, I started in the NAB uh, 25 odd years ago. And, um, and so I went off and did a diploma through TAFE. And that was my first qualification. And I, I really enjoyed that kind of practical as well as theory and and it's funny because I kind of learnt the value of education later in life not kind of while I was at school so then from there from TAFE I went and did a diploma in HR and I chose HR because it um at when you know when I was at uni they didn't have um, degrees in leadership at that stage so HR was kind of the, the closest thing to leadership that I could find. And and it also, it's about human behaviour and human stuff. And I've always been kind of fascinated by um, how people behave, particularly in in things like, like we're experiencing now. You know, you see the good, the bad and the ugly in, in leadership at, when there's times like crisis happening around us so uh, that's also been a, a fascination of mine so so yeah so I went on and and did my degree and then after that I did a post uh, uh, grad diploma in operations management which helped me to actually uh, think about the processes that we go through and and how we can learn from that and apply that to to be more efficient and then from there I went off and um, oh, I did my coaching certificate and then I went off to Harvard and um, and learnt all about leadership and and adaptive leadership and and yeah and it, it's yeah it's been a fascinating educational journey but all the time being able to apply what I've learnt into the workforce and the workplace. Yeah, brilliant. So you, that was a long answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and you talked yeah. about NAB there, which uh, for our listeners is National Australia Bank. Yeah. And you were there for, you know, you had a long time, a long career at National Australia Bank. What was yeah. it about that company that allowed you to stay connected and be there for the long term? Yeah. So um, I, I, it, it was a fascinating place to work because you would go to different areas as you um did different jobs and culture it was like cultures within a, a culture and so you would go to so i did some time in business banking for example where you know we had customers business customers and we would help them with their um, lending and running their business and so you know getting that experience that commercial experience was brilliant because you know you, you can you can run a business but not know how to run a business if you know what I mean and so um, being able to help people directly with their lending and and running their business on a day-to-day basis as well as a strategic uh, basis was really valuable experience so and so 
um, so and the culture within that in the NAB was really it was fun and and you know rewarding because you got to see how um, you know what we did could help businesses grow and develop. Um, and then so I, then I went to well I had a number of jobs throughout the, my time there but you know I did some time in risk so um, that was really beneficial to understand all the different risks that we manage and how to mitigate those risks from a commercial perspective as well. Um, I also worked in HR there so you know helping people to develop and grow and um, you know uh, working on leadership teams and with leadership teams as well was was beneficial and so yeah lots of I also worked in finance in there so understanding again the commercial side of actually running a, a large organization as well as you know the individual departments of the NAB as well so lots and lots of really really great experience over the broad range of actually a large corporate was was what I found particularly um, rewarding and beneficial. And so from a leadership point of view, you know, being in there for such a long time, I'm sure you got to see some different leadership styles and, and mm. what, you know, what was kind of the biggest leadership lesson you learned from working in NAB and in, in your early career? <laughs> wow. Um, it, it was interesting because sadly the, I guess the the main things that stop people from being great leaders are things like you know ego getting in the road and um, you know self interest which which is ego um, being um, feeling as though they have no control um, you know not being courageous in their actions um, but, and um, you know, not being vulnerable as well. So there's this, this whole, there's many different aspects that stop people from actually leading. Yet the one thing that kind of stood out for me and was probably the the basis for my, the foundation for my first book, which is um, uh, the languages of leadership, is that, you know, you, as leaders, we have three things that are all within our control that once we're able to harness those, you know, we become more effective in the job that we do. And that's our actions, our words and our behaviours. And that's really the only thing that we can control, but it's the most powerful thing that we have at our disposal. And so once we actually uh, learn that our um, words, actions and behaviours need to be aligned and consistent and um, and they can influence those around us, you know, we, we become more influential and powerful in just, just in that. Yeah. So what, what was the transition or the catalyst for you to shift into coaching leaders? <laughs> well, I think um, throughout my career, I've always worked with leaders and leadership teams, either on them or with them. And so um, it, I guess informally or indirectly, I've been helping leaders to be better leaders for many, many years. And so it, to me, it was just such a natural transition after I left there um, to actually continue that work. And, you know, I, I um, it, it, it's always amazed me how we make leadership so complex and, 
you know, over the years, people want to be leaders. And I've often heard leaders say about other people, you know, if only they show leadership, but nobody's able to actually clearly articulate what it is, what are the actions, the words and the behaviours that people need to do to show great leadership. And, you know, research shows that, you know, when we're in a situation that requires us to be leaders, 72% of us will do nothing. And so how do I help people to be part of that, you know, 30% that actually does? And what are the things that they need to say, do, and how do they need to behave to be able to feel comfortable to to actually step into that leadership when they need to? And so, so yeah, it was kind of a natural transition for me to actually just keep doing what I've been doing all along, really. And so talking around, you know, leadership there and, and you're speaking around that people find it difficult to define. How would you define leadership? Well, it's about, um, it's such a broad topic. Uh, it, but to me, it's about being courageous and, you know, stepping into what you need to when you need to. Uh, it's about building trust with people, um, you know, being being trusted as well as trusting your people. It's about being vulnerable uh, when you need to. Um, and it's about being strong as well, you know, making the tough calls and the tough decisions when you need to. It's also about what I call um, engineering. So it's about using your environment and what's around you to get the most out of the situation or your people. Um, and it's also about abdicating, but in a, in a constructive and positive way. So by that, I mean stepping back to enable your people to step forward when, when and giving them opportunities to step into their own roles and, and to, you know, lead when they need to. So, so yes, those, those six core components uh, are what I define as great leadership. I like that. Stepping back, I always say that I, I need to make myself redundant every three months in, yeah. in roles. So <laughs> yeah. the goal is to create new leaders all the time so they can, they can take over new sections, develop something, you know, build it out and make sure Absolutely. empower people to take hold of them. Absolutely. Mm. And as, as leaders, we need to have leadership teams that, you know, are empowered and confident and uh, um, run the business for you so that as a leader, you can focus on the strategic things that you need to and, and the, the important stuff that needs to be to be done while your leaders are capable and confident to actually do their job. Brilliant. Yeah. So, so in 2019, you authored the book, Languages of Leadership. Yep. Tell us, what is the book all about and what are the languages that we need okay. to be aware so, of? Yeah, so that um, the languages are uh, courage and strength, um, trust and vulnerability, and engineering and abdication. So everything that I've just kind of covered uh, is, is what I feel that leadership is all about. So, yeah, so... Um, uh, the courage to stand up and stand for what you believe in, the strength to make uh, strong decisions and tough calls, um, engineering your environment and um, and then a, a stepping back, abdication, stepping back and letting your people step in, being trusted and trustworthy and, and trusting your people um, and building trust and then being vulnerable. So, you know, through sharing your stories of of how you've learnt different things and where you failed and 
and what you've done to kind of overcome things as well. And, and that's a really great way to build trust as well. So, so yeah, so six languages. Yeah, very good. And when it comes to trust, you know, obviously trust is, is, the, is one big word that, that pops up all the time. They're either losing trust or they're gaining trust um, yeah. or still trying to figure it out. So, so what are some real key tips for leaders around in building trust in a, in a team or culture environment? Yeah. So um, trust is, is an interesting one because a lot of, I, I believe that uh, trust is at the foundation of not only every leadership team, but every relationship that we manage. And if we don't trust someone, it actually affects how we approach the way we talk to somebody, the way that we converse, the way we have conversations with them. So um, so the, the quickest and um, most effective way to build trust is through being vulnerable together. Um, and so, but vulnerability doesn't, I don't mean, you know, crying in front of your people or anything. It's about sharing stories of times when you have failed and what you've learned from that or things where you've tried something and it went wrong or it didn't go the way you planned and, and you know, what you've learned from that. It, it, because, you know, we're, we've all failed. We've all done something wrong. We've all stuffed up. And, you know, leaders are no different. So, so sharing those stories with your people is a really great way to be vulnerable in a, in a safe and, you know, um, uh, kind of non-threatening way. The other um, way to build trust is through commonality. So finding things in common with each other. So um, what that says to our, us neurologically is that uh, when we have things in common is that this person is like me. And so if this person's kind of similar to me, then I can start to trust them as well. Um, and then having open and honest conversations with each other uh, is a really great way to, to build trust as well. So, you know, um, having difficult conversations when you need to, you know, giving open and honest feedback in an empathetic and caring way um, helps to build trust with people as well. So, so yeah, that's, that's what I'd be doing. How does a leader know when they have got the trust of their employees? What are, what are the signs that we can normally see? Um, yeah. Because, you know, I think that's really important because you need to build that trust first before you can then feel confident to empower people to, you know, do, um, yeah. take over things that, that you could do um, yeah. and, and empower them. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, trust is a funny thing. It's, you know, it takes time to build up and it's not an event. It's, it's actually a, a, you know, almost a process, you know, you need to work on it constantly, but it can be gone in a heartbeat. Um, and, you know, ways that you can kind of identify if your people do trust you is if they uh, feel co confident enough to come to you and, and uh, share things with you, uh, tell you about their personal lives, confide in you or you know even um voice their opinion if it's if, even if it particularly if it doesn't agree with your view um but they 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 trust you enough to be able to share their views openly with you mm. yeah and and obviously over the 2020 has been one of those amazing years where um, leaders uh shine and you can always tell the true character 
of someone not on the, a normal day today, but when things are going really well or when things are really challenging and difficult. So for yep. you, who is a leader that's really stood out around the world and why in mm-hmm. 2020? So well, I was, my default is Jacinda Ardern because she just seems to manage crises with aplomb and um, dignity and respect. And, you know, the way she handled the terrorist attack last year uh, in New Zealand was just with um, incredible self-respect and respect for others and dignity. And she was just amazing. And then again, you know, she she's not afraid to be vulnerable. She's not afraid for people to see how human she is. And, you know, during the crisis, she, or the um, COVID crisis, she um, had Facebook Live events where she would, you know, turn up in her tracky dacks and, uh, you know, a messy T-shirt from because she's just finished feeding her daughter. So, you know, that, that shows people that she's real and she has a life, she has a child and, you know, life and work often, you know, cross over. And, and that she's not afraid to show people that, that she's human. Um, you know, she doesn't need to turn up in a suit and tie every day and, and um, she's not afraid to, for people to see into her life. So, you know, I think that's valuable in a leader and, and people connect with that. So that's, a, that's a really good segue into your new book, uh, Raising Leaders. And, and obviously, yeah. we're watching <laughs> Jacinda Ardern actually raising a leader, as well as leading a nation. And, and some people might say kind of leading the world in a number of ways as well. Yeah. Uh, you, you've, you launched a book, the, the Languages of Leadership, last year, and you come out hitting, come out swinging again in 2020 <laughs> with yeah. Raising Leaders. You, yeah. Why so soon? I, I think <laughs> I had more to say <laughs> and one book's never enough. <laughs> um, it's interesting because um, uh, the languages of leadership were, I guess, what I've seen over the years as the core fundamental um, uh, words, actions and behaviours that leaders need. But raising leaders is about leveraging your experience both as a parent or being raised, you know, reflecting on your own upbringing, which we have all had or we are all trying to do. So um, so raising leaders is very much around drawing on that experience and applying it in the workplace along with the languages of leadership. So um, it's about, um, so one of the uh, concepts of raising leaders is about the languages that you use because, you know, as leaders, uh, as parents, we've all heard our children repeat back to us the words that we use and the actions that we do, usually at the most inopportune time. Mm-hmm. And and so um, how do we make sure that our words, actions and behaviours are consistent and, and, you know, at the at the right level and setting the right tone for those that we lead? Because like parents, we're always on show for our kids and at work, we're always on show for the people that we lead. And so you've got the five core areas of parenting. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I'm very curious to know how you come up with the five, the five <laughs> different areas. 
and yeah. and why they stand out as as fundamental for people in leader in leadership roles or leadership positions. Mm-hmm. So the, that's um, so the first uh, concept is love. So at the foundation of every home should be love, and every family should be love. And so, um, but but at work, love looks like respect and for each other and um, connection with our people and, um, you know, the trust and vulnerability as well and, you know, forgiveness as well. You know, we readily forgive our kids when they stuff up and, and help them to learn and the same applies at work. We should, you know, when our people stuff up, we should forgive them and help them to learn from that experience as well. So, so love is the first one. Environment is the second one. So we want our environment at home to be safe uh, for our people, for our kids, and the same applies at work. So we not only physical environment to be safe, but also psychologically safe for our people, so that they feel comfortable to be able to raise their concerns and voice their opinions in a safe environment without fear of being judged. So that's the second one. The third one is around health. So we want our kids to be happy and healthy. And, you know, we, we want, you know, uh, to have a healthy environment at work as well. So, and this is very much around setting the example. So, you know, making sure that we have boundaries between work and home, that we're leaving at a reasonable hour, that we're not sending emails in the middle of the night and ex- expecting our people to respond. So, so um, you know, eating healthy and physical exercise as well and, you know, setting the example for, for the people that we lead. Um, the, the fourth one is around language, which I've just spoken about around our being on show and making sure that our words, actions and behaviours are aligned all the time. And the fifth one is around vision. So we, we want our kids to grow up and be, um, you know, a, a functioning, well-functioning and contributing members to society. And we have that vision for our kids. And the same applies to the people that we work with. So we want to be able to have a, a really clear vision for the future, have a strategy to meet that vision and have our people involved in developing that strategy as well. Um, and can, having a, a clear purpose so that, you know, our people understand why they do the work that they do and how that contributes to the strategy and the vision. Excellent. So we've got those uh, the five areas there. So we've got love, environment, uh, health, language, and vision. Which mm-hmm. one is the most challenging for leaders to embed into their teams? Look, I think uh, the love love is difficult because people, you know, particularly in Australia, we're not meant to be vulnerable or, you know, it's hard. It's hard to be vulnerable with our people and, you know, um, it, 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 it's, it's interesting because, you know, we see, we often see that as a weakness um, and, you know, caring about people, particularly people that you work with and meant to have a professional relationship with, you know, caring kind of doesn't come naturally to some people, you know, without being sexist, some males as well, you know, <laughs> so, which is understandable because, you know, we bring our, We've had this culture of, you know, we have to tough it out and, you know, not not show any vulnerability. Um, and so, yeah, so it is hard for people. 
And we want people to think that, you know, we're coping and, you know, as leaders, we're expected to have all the answers. So with 2020, what do you feel are the, the greatest challenges for leaders um, this year? You know, yeah. what are the things that you're seeing that are challenging? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'll start with that one. Then we'll have a look at, you know, what are we seeing with the, the urgency? What are some of the, the leadership skills and mm-hmm. traits that we're seeing starting to rise through that we're kind yeah. of missing? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so I think particularly with COVID and, you know, the, it, we've, we've really had to adapt quite quickly, particularly to, you know, working from home. And I, I, the one thing that I see people, leaders struggling with is um, creating this connection with people online and, and they struggle with that because, you know, it's, it, it's, it's quite different to actually, you know, when you meet face face to face and you can eyeball somebody and, you know, it's, it's, it's harder to, and it takes more effort and um, um, focus to actually make sure that we are connecting with our people and continue to connect with them. Um, So, yeah, so I, I find that that's what they're struggling with most. And also, you know, helping to reassure their people that everything's going to be okay and, and we can continue to, you know, work and, and be productive and, and effective and um, in, in, particularly in the workplace. So um, uh, I, I also see that, you know, people are um, worried that, you know, there's loss of control because they can't see, physically see people working all the time and you know working from home you know you have to trust your people more that they're doing the right thing and so that's difficult for people to for leaders to get used to as well it's really interesting online obviously it gives you the opportunity to to be a lot more intimate and have a lot more one-on-one eye contact yeah. because you're looking at a camera as long as you look at the camera yeah <laughs> But I think the thing that's missing a lot with leadership at the moment is you miss all the nuances and the, mm-hmm. and the things that happen behind the scenes as you walk through the office or you feel so, or you see someone walk through the office uh, yep. or, or you, you can kind of see how team dynamics are working. Yes. That's a lot more challenging to pick up when you're working remotely. And so I think it, it requires a new skill sets and it's, yeah. it involves the leader being more in tune Yes. and thinking about the questions that they ask with the people that they work with. That's right. And I agree. And, and it's putting more thought into the conversation that you're about to have with each, each individual person. Um, because, you know, it's easy in the, in the office to walk past and say, how are you going? What's going on? Give me an update. But, you know, now you, ha- you really have to book time with people and and your conversation needs to still make sure because you can only see them from here up Mm. you know and so it's hard to kind of distinguish body language and you know that all that like you say all the nuances of of seeing people uh in the flesh yeah so i agree yeah it's really interesting uh one of the observations i made earlier this year working with one of the ceos and I just saw him come onto the screen and I said, okay, today's session's only going to be five minutes. I said, I'm going to speak and then you're going to give me an answer and then I'm going to send you on your way. And Ooh. I could just tell they had, 
they've done an amazing job, just absolutely phenomenal what they were achieving. Mm. But the problem was they were so focused on what's next, what's next, what's next, what's next, uh. that they had missed all the thousand things that they had done that were like just world leading from a company point of view. Yeah. Yeah. And I just said, look, I want you to take this weekend off. I want you to get a bottle of wine, sit down with your wife, and I want you to talk through all the small wins you've had. Nice. And then come back fresh next week and we'll meet again. And it was the game changer for that person to just realize, hey, you know what, we're doing some incredible things and we don't have to keep the the finger on the go fast button the whole time. Yeah. And it's been a, a fundamental shift in the way that person's leading since then yeah and i agree you know i i often say to the people that i coach that you know they we we always compare ourselves to other people and you know that that you know makes us feel as though we're not achieving anything or you know they're doing a better job but um when you think about where you were say five years ago or two years ago or two months ago even and and all of the things that you've done and where you are today, that comparison is far more effective than actually comparing yourself to someone else. And um, uh, Jordan Peterson wrote the 12 rules for life. And one of those is compare yourself to where you were five years ago, rather than comparing yourself to someone else. So, and, and I think that's very true. And when you do compare yourself to where you were even two months ago, you can see all the wonderful things that you've done and what you've learned and, and how far you've come. And, you know, particularly with COVID in the last six months, you know, I, I agree it's, it's important to sit and reflect and, and, you know, have a glass of wine to celebrate, you know, the great stuff that you do and, and you know, the great people that you have as well. Oh, beautiful. So we all know smart people have great answers, but the <laughs> most successful people ask great questions. Yes. When was the last time you did something for the first time? <laughs> oh, I oh, I played a video game with my kids because my kids are obsessed with um, playing video games and my daughter in particular with Fortnite. And so I said, okay, to- show me how to play it and let me play a game. And oh my goodness, I have never been eliminated from, I reckon I was the first one killed in the game. I felt completely uncoordinated and out of touch and, and it just opened my eyes to this whole <laughs> new world and to how I, uh, my thumbs just can't work together. <laughs> it's incredible. <laughs> so I was very uncomfortable and out of my league. <laughs> What is the one question that you would love to solve? Uh, <laughs> how to get rid of egos in the workplace. Yeah, well, that's, a, that's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah. For, for you, what is your definition of living an extraordinary life? Hmm. It's um, being courageous every day. It's sharing love every day. It's being grateful every day and it's absolutely laughing every day. So that, that's my idea of living a, a really great life. Yeah, we forget to laugh sometimes and yeah. it, we get too serious. I think yeah. that's a really good one. Absolutely. 
Wendy, you've shared some great tips and, and ideas, and I'm sure a lot, a lot of people listening would like to learn more about your, your book, Raising Leaders, and the things that you do. How can people learn more about what you do, and maybe where can they find the book? Yeah, so um, my website is wendyborn.com.au, um, and my email address is wendy at wendyborn.com.au, and I'm always, always love to talk to people um, and learn more about them and hear their stories. So, you know, I welcome anybody getting in contact with me. Um, you can buy my book through Amazon and um, Booktopia and Dimix, so any any online bookstore. Um, and, yeah, so if you're interested in talking to me, just I uh, would love to hear from you and please feel free to reach out. Wendy, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today. I. I just want to acknowledge you first for sharing your vulnerability around your childhood early on and not using that as a place to dwell, but to learn and use that as an opportunity for your life. And you can really feel when you speak that the lessons that you've learned, not only in your childhood, but also throughout your entire life, you've been able to really draw out the essence of that, of what really makes a true leader. Yeah. And so just, uh, thank you for sharing your insights around the languages of leadership and also raising leaders, which I'm really excited to, to delve into and read about, and I'm sure many other people will as well, uh, especially during this time where we are being challenged. Leaders are, are learning more about themselves, and it's a great opportune time for people to really grow and develop and take their leadership to the next level. So, Wendy, thank you very much for your time today. That's my pleasure, Craig. It's been a delight to talk to you this morning. So thank you. Thank you for listening to an enjoyable conversation with Wendy Bourne, Raising Leaders on the Active CEO Podcast. Atomic pressure is all about managing minute pressure for high performance and preventing the extreme pressure moments in life. How often have you created a mountain out of a molehill? I'm going to share with you quickly five principles of atomic pressure. Number one, release the pressure valve. When pressure keeps building and accumulating, we need to have a strategy to be able to blow off some pressure or blow off the steam from that pressure. So that could be a going for a walk outside. It could be um, a key word that switches you from pressure to a non-pressure environment. Principle number two, turn the pressure tap on and off. At different times in our life, we need more pressure and other times we need less pressure. And we can be really effective with the people that we lead if we know when to turn it on and off because they thrive in different situations or, or it challenges them to feel a bit uncomfortable and grow. Principle three, create a pressure shield. Now, when the pressure gets so high from external, we need to have some sort of shield that allows us to stay focused on our intention rather than getting distracted. Principle number four, use a pressure magnet. Now, sometimes we want to draw in external pressure because it helps us 
to get things done quickly, take action, and to perform at a higher level. It raises our ability to perform. And principle five, lean into pressure. Pressure's not gonna go away by itself. So we must lean into it. We must take control of pressure and reframe it. Atomic pressure, why pressure wins when performance matters. If you want to understand pressure and how to cope with it more effectively by using a pressure valve, having a pressure tap, creating a pressure shield, using a pressure magnet and leaning into pressure, then contact me at craig at nrg2perform.com or click on the contact page of craigjohns.com.au website. And together, we can help you maximize pressure. Now, coming up in the next episode is Jamin Fraser, and we talk about unhindered leadership. So keep an eye out for that one. Thank you so much for listening to this episode and, and a great conversation with Wendy. I am Craig Johns. This is the Active CEO Podcast, where the ordinary don't belong. Join the Active CEO movement by visiting www.nrgtoperform.com. That's nrg2perform.com. Share this podcast on LinkedIn and be sure to tag in NRG to Perform. Leave a review on iTunes. Drop us a line with your feedback and questions and connect with us on the NRG to Perform Facebook and Instagram pages. Be sure to check out the next Active CEO podcast where the ordinary don't belong.